Chapter Ten of Rejected of Men by Howard Pyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: A Voice from the Dead. The DeWitts were cousins of the Gildermans. Nearly all the great metropolitan plutocratic families were either allied or connected with one another, and the DeWitts and the Gildermans were doubly connected by marriage in the generation of Gilderman's father the de witts had been building a country house some little distance out of the city and not far from the water the architects and builders and landscape gardeners had been at work upon it for over a year it was now about completed and it was the intention of the family to open the house in may it was not even yet quite furnished but it was so nearly so that it was practically inhabitable the stables had been filled and a corps of servants had been sent down under mrs lukens the housekeeper and dolan the head groom halliday the gardener already had the greenhouses and palm house looking as though they had been in operation for twenty years the grounds under the direction of mr blumenthal had been laid out in a rather elaborate imitation of a foreign park he had planted clumps of oak trees nearly full grown which he had transplanted at an enormous cost of money and labour the arrangement of the clumps of rhododendrons and other flowering shrubs was indeed a work of art the great park together with the paddock and the kitchen garden occupied nearly a mile square of ground that had become very valuable as suburban property the estate included several acres of ground in the northwestern suburb of the neighboring town there was very delightful society in the neighborhood the Laceys, the morgans and the ap johns all had country houses in the immediate neighborhood the dewitts were going down to brookfield for a last look at the house before its completion they had asked gilderman to go along he was not especially interested in the new house indeed he had become rather bored by all the talk and discussion concerning it in the de witt household for a year past he had at first declined to go and then had accepted having nothing else that morning especially to interest or to occupy him the party who went down consisted of tom de witt and his mother and two sisters and sam tigeman Tagman was engaged to be married to Bertha de Witt, the younger daughter. Nearly all the trains stopped at Brookfield Junction, so that one had practically the choice of any time to reach there. It was this accessibility to the metropolis that had made the place so valuable for suburban residence purposes. The party went down on the eleven o'clock express. De Witt had engaged the whole forward section of the parlor car, and they were entirely secluded from all the rest of the train. They saw nobody at all but themselves, excepting the negro porter, for the conductor collected the tickets of the party from De Witt's man outside. Almost as soon as they were safely ensconced in their compartment, Tom De Witt frankly took out a newspaper from his overcoat pocket and began to skim through it. He glanced up from it as the train began moving out of the station and then instantly resumed his perusal it took twenty minutes or more to run down to brookfield and de witt read his paper nearly all the while the rest of the party talked together in a dropping intermittent sort of fashion the de witt girls had a bored tired expression that was habitual with them and which was due perhaps to the heavy droop of their eyelids and the slight parting of their lips they looked very much alike and were both handsome after a certain fashion 
the train made no stop short of brookfield junction as it whirled swiftly and tumultuously past the several stations nearer and nearer to brookfield gilderman looking out of the broad plate-glass windows could see that the platforms were nearly all more or less crowded with people i wonder what all the people are waiting for he said at last do you suppose it has anything to do with that man that they are making such a stir about i suppose so said tigeman isn't it dreadful said clara de witt there's brookfield such a nice quiet place and now it is all full of these dreadful crowds who come just to see the man and to hear him preach i think it's perfectly dreadful it ought to be stopped indeed it ought how the deuce could you stop it clara said de witt looking around the edge of his newspaper the people have a right to go where they please so long as they behave themselves i don't care said mr witt if i were in pilate's place i wouldn't let these wretched people come crowding after that man the way they do it's dreadful that's what it is sam tigeman burst out laughing well clara he said we'll put you up for nomination next time if we only had you now in the place of poor old herod you'd make things hum and no mistake and you'd be ever so much more proper gilderman listened to the silly vapid words as though they were removed from him he was thinking about the man himself how very interesting it would be if he could really see him and hear him speak if he chose to go to see him he might perhaps behold one of those miraculous cures and could know for himself whether they were real or whether they were false hello henry said tom de witt suddenly here's an editorial about that blind man you were telling us about the other day that fellow they turned out of the church what does it say said gilderman de witt did not offer the paper to gilderman he ran his eye down the editorial it doesn't seem to be very complimentary to the bishop he said the editor fellow seems to think it was no fault of the fellow's own that he was cured and that they oughtn't to have turned him out of the church just because he got his eyesight back again that wasn't the reason said gilderman it's a deuced pretty state of affairs anyhow said tigeman if the bishop isn't fit to decide who's fit to belong to the church and who's not fit if the bishop isn't able to decide who is able to decide ain't that so gildy oh, i don't know said gilderman they were coming nearer and nearer to brookfield the scattered frame houses some of them pretentiously villa-like grew more and more frequent here and there were newly projected streets sliced out across the fields you get the first view of the house just beyond here said mrs de witt gilderman leaned forward to look out of the window in the direction she had indicated the train was passing through a railroad cut through the side of a little hill as it swept rapidly out from the cut gilderman saw the distant slope of the hill scattered over with clumps of trees and bushes in a thicker cluster of trees at the top of the rise he could see the white gables and the long facade of the house with a glimpse of the conservatories behind it as he stooped forward looking a thicker cluster of frame houses arose and shut out the view the engine whistled hoarsely tom de witt was folding up his newspaper the train began to slacken its speed and there was a general bustle of preparation de witt's man came in the car and held his topcoat for him while he slipped into it then he helped gilderman and then sam tigeman as gilderman settled himself into his overcoat and took out his gloves 
he could see through the window the quick passing glimpse of streets and thicker and thicker cluster of houses now there would be an open field like lot and then more houses there were everywhere groups of people they looked up at the train as it rushed past with a gradually decreasing speed there was a shrieking of the brakes and a shuddering of the train as it rapidly approached the station this is brookfield said the negro porter as he flung open the door with a crash with a final shudder and strain the train stopped in front of a somewhat elaborately artistic station the platform of which was filled with a restless throng of people oh what a horrid crowd said bertha de witt i suppose it's got something to do with that man we hear so much about said miss de witt you can't help that said tom de witt they have a right to go where they please and to crowd as they choose and so you must just put up with it the colored porter placed a carpet-covered step for them and helped the ladies officiously down to the platform he touched his hat and bowed elaborately as gilderman gave him a dollar the crowd stared at them as the party descended from the coach dewitt's man made a way for them through the throng and they followed after him across the platform and through the station and out upon another covered platform beyond fetch up the traps as quick as you can simpkins said tom dewitt yes sir said the man tipping his hat there were a number of hacks and wagons and buses occupying the space in front of the platform dewitt's landau and dog-cart stood on the other side of the station in front of a greenstone building that seemed to be a drug-store and grocery-store combined dewitt's man bustled about urging the drivers of the hacks and the buses to move them out of the way to make room by the side of the platform the dewitt party stood in a little group crowded close together they talked with one another in low tones and the people stood about staring remotely at them mrs de witt put up her lorgnette to her eyes and stared back sweepingly at the crowd presently the landau drew up to the platform with a jingle and clinking of polished chains and bits a pawing of hoofs and a switching of cropped tails the footman with breeches so tight to his legs that they fairly seemed to crack jumped down and opened the door you'll go over with the ladies sam said tom de witt to tigeman i'll drive gilderman myself in the dog-cart all right said tigeman and he stepped briskly in after bertha de witt the door closed with a crash the footman jumped up in his place and the coach swung out of the way with another jingle of chains to make room for the dog-cart they were all perfectly oblivious of the surrounding crowd who stood looking on the groom stood at the horse's head while gilderman stepped into the cart de witt followed him he swung the horse's head around and the groom ran and scrambled up behind into the cart as it rattled away the train had begun to draw off from the station the horse pulled strongly at the reins and de witt drew him in with a flush of red in his thin cheeks gilderman looked back at the station it appeared flat and low from the distance its platform crowded with people as the train moved more and more swiftly the horse began prancing whoa said de witt he gave the animal a sharp cut with the whip that made it spring with a jerk then they rattled away briskly and steadily from the suburbs you could just catch a glimpse of the l of the house it was surrounded by trees which were intended in the summer time to shut out the view of the town entirely the house looked out upon the open country and across the low hills towards the wide water 
that's the ap john's place said de witt pointing with his whip gilderman could see a brown villa in the extreme distance then they rattled down the hill and through the great park gates two large linden trees which mr blumenthal had had transplanted stood on either side of the great gateway and shaded the two gatehouses there was a transplanted hedge and a bit of an old wall with carved stone copings mr blumenthal had made the gate and the surroundings look as though they had been standing for a hundred and fifty years how do you like it said de witt stunning said gilderman Tigman and the ladies were just getting out of the landau as the dog-cart rattled up to the portico of the main front gilderman jumped out and stood looking about him the view was beautiful he had not seen it since the summer before he was surprised at the change when he had last been there he had looked out upon a rather garish sloping meadow open to the sky there had been a great deal of lumber scattered about and the earth was trampled naked and bare there had been a mortar-bed and beyond down the slope there had been a fence and a field shaggy with long rusty feathery grass now everything was trim and neat a long gravel roadway circled in a great sweep around a wide spread of lawn framed in by clumps and clusters of trees and rhododendron bushes you got a glimpse of the stream at the bottom of the slope and a fringe of willows beyond that a strip of lawn-like paddock another hill and then far away a thread of the broad stretch of water the trees were bare of leaves as yet but gilderman could see that it would all be very beautiful in the later spring and summer they stood for a while enjoying the view then they all went into the house marcy who was the architect met them in the hall with fine tact he had not intruded his presence upon them until now he was a soft refined gentle-spoken man with delicate sensitive almost effeminate face his hair was parted in the middle and his beard trimmed to a point well mr de witt he said i hope you are satisfied with the final result yes indeed marcy said de witt you have done admirably mr marcy said mrs de witt in her stateliest manner mr marcy smiled indefinitely with another flash of his white teeth under his brown moustache this hall is stunning said gilderman looking about him marcy turned towards him i'm glad you like it mr gilderman he said it'll be very much improved when the paintings are hung i think the stairway and the landing above is rather a happy inspiration if i may say so stunning said tigman where did you get those chairs to wit said gilderman inkerman picked them up for me at the conti sale they came from the pinazi palace you know good ain't they and de witt passed his hand over the tapestried upholstery almost affectionately just then the housekeeper appeared and dropped a curtsey as she came in at the library door oh mrs lukens said mrs de witt i wish you'd have luncheon promptly at one o'clock mr gilderman wants to go back to town on the half-past two o'clock train yes ma'am said mrs luckins dropping another curtsey and again mr marcy smiled with a flash of his beautiful white teeth i'd like to begin by taking you upstairs mr de witt he said very well said de witt and then the whole party moved across the hall to begin the inspection of the house gilderman rode back to the station behind the same smart horse and with the same groom that had brought him over the groom drove the horse very much faster than tom de witt had done 
as they spun along the level stretch of road gilderman put up his hand holding his hat against the wind the smoke from his cigar blowing back in his eyes the groom checked the horse to a walk as they ascended the steep hill beyond which lay the town by the way john said gilderman suddenly there seems to be a good deal of interest hereabouts about that man they're talking so much about just now the groom glanced quickly almost suspiciously at gilderman and then back at the horse again yes sir he said they do be running after him a lot one way and another about here what do you think about him yourself john said gilderman curiously the man was plainly disinclined to talk i don't know sir he said i don't know that i think anything at all about him ain't no concern of mine sir then you don't believe in him said gilderman i'd really like to know again the man glanced swiftly at gilderman i don't know sir he said and then after a pause somewhat cautiously he have done some mighty strange things sir what do you mean said gilderman forbearing to look at him oh i don't know but he have been doing some strange things sir there was a man down here a week ago last sunday as was blind he just rubbed some dirt over his eyes and they do say it cured him gilderman did not say anything as to his knowledge of tom kettle presently the groom continued there was a man down here was a great friend of his'n he died last tuesday and they say he wouldn't a died if he had been here but he was away and the man died kind of sudden like he had been sick but nobody knowed he was that sick they do say the man could bring him back to life if he chose i don't believe in it myself sir but that's what they do say they've got the dead man in a vault over at the cemetery and they won't bury him till the other has seen him oh then he isn't hereabouts said gilderman he was here said the man but he went away last sunday they say he's going down to the city some day soon and he's making his plans for it he was to come back here by noon to-day oh then that's why those crowds were waiting at the stations i suppose said gilderman yes sir said the groom they was waitin to see him who was the man who died said gilderman after a little pause why sir to tell you the honest truth said the groom i've often seen him but i don't know much about him he lived down in yon part of the village pointing with his whip with his two sisters one of the women appears to be good enough and nobody says anything against her but the other well sir she's been a pretty bad lot and that's the truth they tell me they used to do all they could to keep her to home but she wouldn't stay she's at home now but she was down in the city nigh all last winter her brother didn't try to make her stay at home and he couldn't make her stay if he tried she's just a bad lot and that's all there is of it they do say she's different now but you know what that amounts to with that kind gilderman laughed the man now that he was started was disposed to be loquacious the groom shot a quick look at him they had already reached the top of the hill the declivity upon the side stretched away down to the town and in the extreme distance gilderman could see the low flat roof of the station he looked at his watch it was twenty-seven minutes past two i'll get you there in good time sir said the groom then he chirruped to the horse the animal gathered itself up with a start and then sped away down the road past the scattered houses and the embryo streets staked out across the open fields did you ever see the man yourself john said gilderman suddenly 
yes sir said the groom me and jackson was down in the town last wednesday night a week ago he was teaching there in front of an old frame church what sort of looking man is he said gilderman and john the groom answered almost exactly as latimer moore had done one time before oh i don't know he just looks like any other man then they were at the platform of the railroad station gilderman jumped out of the cart he drew a dollar out of his pocket and gave it to the man thank you sir said the groom touching his hat with the finger that held the whip he waited a little while till gilderman had walked away across the platform then he turned the horse and drove away there were a few scattered people waiting for the train which was late the day which had been so clear in the morning had become overcast and threatening the wind had become cold and raw gilderman turned up the collar of his overcoat as he walked up and down the platform suddenly it entered his mind that he would stay over another train he might never again have such an opportunity of seeing this man whom nearly all the nether world now believed to be divine he would have made up his mind to stay only for the latent shame of changing his plans for such an object but after all if he choose to indulge his curiosity no one need know finally he concluded if there was another train by a quarter past three he would stay if not he would go back home as he had intended he would let that decide the question he went up to the ticket office what time is the next train for new york he asked three twenty two said the clerk without looking up three twenty two well that decided it he would go back to the city as he came out upon the platform he heard the thunder of the approaching train then it appeared coming around the curve the brasswork on the huge engine twinkled as it came rushing forward there was a screaming of the brakes as the train drew shudderingly up to the platform then there was an instant bustle of people getting aboard gilderman walked forward along the platform to the parlor car chair in the parlor car sir said the conductor and he nodded his head the conductor preceded him into the car and swung around a revolving seat for him at that moment the train began to move gilderman was yet standing close to the door as the train began moving an instant determination came over him to stop over after all it overmastered him why he could not tell he turned quickly to open the door it stuck and he had some difficulty in pulling it open the train was moving more and more swiftly a brakeman was standing on the platform look out sir he cried as he saw gilderman preparing to jump then gilderman leaped out upon the platform he did not know how fast the train was going until his feet touched the earth it nearly flung him prostrate he regained his balance with a tripping run the train swept along the curve and the platform seemed strangely deserted then gilderman felt very foolish and wished that he had not acted upon his impulse he stood considering for a while then he walked down along the open platform to the station he did not at all know what he should do now that he had stayed in the morning when he had come up from new york there had been a great sign of stir and interest now everything seemed unusually quiet the few people in the neighborhood of the station seemed almost oblivious of anything but their own affairs how foolish had he been to miss his train a man came to the door of the men's waiting-room and stood looking at him gilderman passed by without speaking to him 
then he suddenly turned back and asked the man whether he whom he sought was in the town yes sir he is said the man he came an hour or more ago where is he now said gilderman well sir said the man i don't just know he went down in the lower part of the town there with a great crowd of people which way did he go over yonder said the man pointing across the railroad tracks gilderman stood for a moment considering should he stay where he was it looked very like rain he hesitated then again came that strange propulsion forward urging him to pursue the undertaking he crossed the five or six broad lines of railroad track he walked down the road and over the bridge there was a steep embankment on the other side of the bridge and the stream went winding down the level open lot or field below gilderman wondered whether this was the place where tom kettle had received his sight he walked on for perhaps a quarter of a mile without seeing any sign of a crowd at last he came to a sort of tobacco shop that was half a dwelling-house he hesitated for a moment or two and then went up the two dirty steps and pushed open the door it stuck for a moment and then suddenly gave way with a loud jangling of a bell over his head the bell continued a persistent tink tinkling for some time the place was full of a heavy musty smell that was not altogether of tobacco a woman emerged somewhere from an inner room gilderman felt very foolish then he asked her if she had seen anything of the man whom he sought he marvelled at the freak of fancy that seemed to thrust him forward upon his strange quest it seemed to him that he was suddenly becoming translated into a different sphere of life from any that he had ever known before the woman stared at him for a moment or two without answering she had a frowsy head of hair and a shapeless figure and was clad in a calico dress she told him that a crowd had gone over towards the cemetery that the town had been full of people all the morning and that they all appeared to have gone over after the man how far is the cemetery from here asked gilderman about a mile i reckon a mile yes gilderman lingered for a moment then he said thank you and he opened the door with the same momentary resistance that finally gave way to a repeated clamorous jangling of the bell again he suddenly realized that he was entering a strange life such as he had never before beheld he stood for a while uncertainly in the street what should he do next he was conscious that the woman was looking at him from the store window and he realized how strange and remote he must appear in these unusual surroundings he could not go a mile to the cemetery and back again in time for his train a negro came driving a farm wagon down the road and towards the station gilderman called to the man who drew in the horse with a whoa look here my man said gilderman i want to go out to the cemetery and i want to get back again in time for the three twenty two train i will give you five dollars if you will drive me there and back the negro made no reply but he drew up to the sidewalk with alacrity gilderman could see the cemetery from a distance as he approached it it was a bleak cheerless place and it looked still more bleak and cheerless under the damp gray sky above it was surrounded by a high white paling fence and there was a wide gateway with high wooden gate-posts painted white through the palings gilderman could see that the cemetery was half filled with a dark crowd of people a straggling crowd still lingered about the other gateway there was a ceaseless hum of many voices 
gilderman thought he heard a voice speaking with loud tones in the distance this will do he said let me out here and wait till i come back as the negro drew up the farm wagon to the roadside gilderman leaped out over the wheel he hurried to the gate of the cemetery almost running after he had entered he saw that the crowd had gathered together beyond a stretch of dead brown grass and between him and them were a number of poor cheap-looking gravestones and wooden headboards and two or three newly made graves the place looked squalid and poor the crowd had grown suddenly silent as though listening or waiting gilderman walked around the outskirts of the throng and then finding an open place he pushed his way into it he felt a strange eerie excitement taking entire possession of him in pushing his way he pressed against the shoulder of a woman she wore a plaid shawl and gilderman noticed that indescribable musty human smell that seems to belong to the clothes of poor people good lord don't shove so said the woman she moved to one side and gilderman edged his way past her the press grew more and more dense the farther he penetrated into it and now and then he could not move by and by he could see before him at some little distance that the crowd surrounded a cave-like vault and then that the keeper of the cemetery was opening the door gilderman had almost come to the very centre of the crowd he could see the vault very clearly he wondered dimly whether he would be able to make the three twenty two train and he wished that he had asked what time was the next train he pushed a little more forward and then he could see the faces of those who fronted the vault two of them were women their eyes red and swollen with crying some of those who stood near them were evidently friends of the family one of these a woman was crying sympathetically wiping her eyes with the corner of her shawl they were all poor people one of the two women had that indefinable look that belongs to a woman of ill repute she was handsome after a certain fashion but she had that hard expression about the mouth which there is no mistaking now her face was wet and softened with her crying they stood just behind and over against a man whom gilderman at once singled out as him whom he had come to see gilderman looked at his face tears were trickling unnoticed down the cheeks the lips were moving as though the man were speaking to himself but though he was weeping gilderman knew that it was not because of sorrow for the dead man that he wept open the door cried a loud clear voice gilderman heard one of the women say he has been dead four days and he stinks the other turned his face slowly towards her and gilderman heard him say to her did i not tell you that if you would believe you should see the glory of god the cemetery keeper had opened the door gilderman was watching tensely and curiously he wondered what the other was going to do he supposed that some singular funeral ceremony was about to take place the man raised his face and looked up into the gray and cheerless sky he began speaking in a loud distinct voice but just what he said gilderman could not understand presently he ceased speaking and then followed a perfectly dead and breathless hush then suddenly in a loud piercing voice he cried out lazarus come forth again there was a pause 
a pause for a single moment those near to him stood breathless and motionless suddenly there was the sound of something falling with a loud clatter inside the black depths of the vault the cemetery keeper who stood near the door sprang backward with a shriek then a man suddenly appeared at the mouth of the vault he stood for a moment at the door of the pit craning his neck and peering around with a strange bewildered look his white lean face was bound about with a cloth his eyes were somewhat dazed and bewildered he plucked at the cloth about his face and then he came up out of the vault all about where gilderman stood there was a tumult of shrieks and cries a violent commotion swept the crowd like a whirlwind gilderman hardly heard it he saw everything dizzily as though it were not real what did it all mean was he really seeing a dreadful miracle performed were all those people real suddenly he felt some one clutch him and fall struggling against him he looked down a woman had fallen in a fit at his feet gilderman awoke to himself with a shock and began to struggle violently backward through the crowd he hardly knew what he was doing he elbowed his way struggling and trampling and striving to get out of the press he did not know himself he was as another man he knew in his soul that he had indeed seen a miracle a dreadful and astounding miracle he was in a state of blind terror terror of what was to happen next presently he found himself out of the thick of the crowd he ran away across the graves the crowd behind him was crying and screaming gilderman found that he was running towards the entrance gateway and then he was out of the place he seemed to breathe more freely the negro with the cart was still waiting for him what's the matter over there he said what have they been doing gilderman did not reply he sprang into the wagon anything happened over there the man asked once more and then he added why you're as white as a sheet can you make the three twenty two train cried gilderman i don't know what time is it now said the man gilderman looked at his watch which he held in a shaking and trembling hand it's a quarter past three he said had it been only three-quarters of an hour since he had leaped from the moving train to the platform i don't know whether i can catch her now unless she's late the man was saying but it sounded to gilderman as though his voice came from a great distance away the train was already at the station when the farm wagon rattled up to it as gilderman stepped aboard of it it began moving he took the first vacant seat that offered it was in the smoking-car there was an overall pervading smell of stale tobacco smoke and the floor under the seat was foul with the sprinkling of tobacco ashes he sat down in the seat pulled up his overcoat collar and drew the brim of his hat over his eyes then folding his arms he gave himself up to thinking he did not know what he thought and he did not direct his mind at all he thought about what he had seen but the most trivial things that surrounded him crept into the chinks of his broken and shattered intelligence he looked at the plush cover on the seat directly in front of him the ply was worn off in the pleats where it was gathered at the button and he thought trivially about it at the same time he saw the bleak and naked cemetery with its white paling fence almost as though with his very eyes 
there was a man just in front of him smoking a pipe and reading a comic paper printed in colours there was a garish caricature of caesar on the front page the man was looking steadily at it evidently ruminating upon its import gilderman staring over his shoulder tried to see the legend below but the paper was too far away from him to decipher it at the same time he thought of that man as he had come up peering out of the vault he could see him with the eyes of his soul exactly as he looked he saw the face almost as vividly as though it really stood before him a thin lean face the unshaven beard beneath the chin the man looked as if he had just climbed out of his coffin there was something horribly grotesque about the black clothes and the starched shirt so exactly like the clothes an undertaker would have put upon a dead body the man in the seat ahead turned over the paper there was a comic picture of a church sociable upon the other page gilderman looked at it but at the same time he thought of the face of the man who had raised the dead there was something dreadful about that too why were the tears running down the cheeks and why was he muttering and groaning to himself the cloudy day was rapidly approaching dusk and they were nearing the tunnels the brakeman came in and lit the lamp gilderman watched him as he stood straddling between the seats like a colossus he turned back the chimney of the brass lamp and then lit it with the match which he held deftly between his fingers gilderman watched him light the next lamp with the same match there was something ghastly when he came to think about it about that man living with a dead man and his sister was it possible that he could live amid such squalid evil surroundings and yet be divine why had he cried and groaned and muttered what did it mean what was he suffering he did not seem to have been sorrowing at the death of the other had that one really been dead or was it all a trick then they rushed into the tunnel with a roar and a sudden obliteration of the outside light gilderman could not tell his wife where he had been he was very silent and distraught all the evening his brain tingled and he felt that he had endured a terrible nervous shock he wished he had not gone to the cemetery he knew he would not be able to sleep that night and he did not sleep he got up and rang the bell and when his man came he told him to bring him a bottle of soda and some whisky he sat up and tried to read the paper and forget what he had seen he was very tired of it and wished he could obliterate it from his mind if only for a little while then he went to bed again and about three o'clock in the morning began to drop off into a broken sleep but as he would fall asleep he would see that figure again standing craning its neck against the black background of the vault and he would awaken once more with a start only to drop off again and to awaken with another start his nerves thrilled and his muscles twitched at every sound he wondered if he were going mad he realized that he would go mad if he gave way to his religious vagaries well he would have done with such things now and forever henceforth he would lead a natural wholesome life as other men of his kind lived he would give up these monstrous speculations into unrealities speculations that had led him into such a dreadful experience as that of the afternoon End of chapter ten